I'm incredibly relieved that neither of you look like that picture on Facebook that I'm interacting. <laughs> I'll need to change that. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Propane Fitness Podcast, episode 10. We've got something a little bit different for you this week. We have Julian Smith, who is a New York Times writer and has written a free ebook that you can get online called The Flinch. Both myself and Johnny have read this twice and it's an absolutely fantastic read. So he defines the flinch, well, the dictionary defines the flinch as to draw back or shrink as from what is dangerous, difficult or unpleasant. And so the argument in his book is basically that flinch is a vestigial response that was useful when we were under physical threat. Whereas now in our sort of first world lives, a lot of the things that elicit that fight flight response, it's no longer an appropriate response to have and it just holds us back from things that we want to really achieve. So he proposes that in many facets, we know what to do, but we shy away from that kind of discomfort. So I'm with Johnny and Julian here. Hey, guys. Hey, thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. So could you briefly explain who you are and how you came across the idea? Sure. I am. Uh, I was a writer before I wrote that book. I had written one book that was a New York Times Wall Street Journal bestseller that was maybe probably like one of the first social media books or social media marketing books ever. And one of my sort of mentors for a long time was a guy called Seth Godin, who's a really famous marketing writer. And him and I worked together on a project that slowly became this book that you're talking about, which was a totally different thing than any other book I had ever written. And while it was, it was happening, while I was writing the book, I was also in the middle of like, like beginning, like talking about intermittent fasting, you know, crazy amounts of parkour, a lot of weightlifting, and just like a million different sort of physically challenging things. And despite sort of being in the business and marketing world, which is where I am now, like I run a startup, you know, that's growing and all these things. In the middle of that entire process, I came out with this book that was fundamentally just all about psychology and that a lot of people have really taken to, particularly in the weightlifting world, in the CrossFit world, in the paleo world, all these other things, you know. And a lot of it kind of came from like a really visceral place when I was going through a lot of stuff. And yeah, so that's the book that you're talking about. But other than that, I'm a writer and a a business owner. I start startups and I generally sort of, I've got a big blog on the internet, a bunch of other stuff like that, but usually all related to, to technology. Great. So Julian, we've had Yusef's definition or the dictionary's definition rather of the flinch. Do you want to just briefly discuss how you yourself define it and then how you discuss it as a concept sure. in the book? Yeah. So I mean, it's pretty simple. Just so you know, you can pick this book up for free. We we made a deal back with Amazon, which is actually impossible to make now, to make this book perpetually free. So it's one of the only books on Amazon that's perpetually free. So even now, three years or something after it's been published, you can go and you can download it. And it was deliberately created like that so that anyone can read it because we thought it was a really worthwhile message. And if you need a translation, it's also been translated to like French, Japanese, you know, Portuguese, a million different languages, and you can find it there. The The basis of the book is that basically like we're what a friend of mine would call jungle surplus hardware in our brain, which is fundamentally super useful in the natural environment that we were brought up in, historically, I mean, that we evolved in, but that is incredibly useless here where we are now in our daily lives. And so many of the things that provoke pain are are creating a, a reaction in us, which is to to flinch away, like physically a flinch. And the example that you can use for flinching is really like, no matter how much you train yourself or anything like that, if someone tries to hit you or pretends to hit you, you will flinch. And just like if a fly 
passes in front of your eyeball, even though it's not dangerous at all, it will cause you to flinch in a physical way. A majority of the things that cause us to have that reaction are fundamentally not dangerous at all. And so we should re-examine our initial reaction to stimulus in a really profound way because it can really change your life. It is really cool that you gave away this book for free. And for anyone that's listening, if you haven't read this book, I really implore you to have a look at it. It certainly is worthwhile and was life-changing in the way that I form my attitudes and likewise with Jonathan. So, Julian, how does the flinch manifest in everyday Mm. first world life? Yeah, so, I mean, this is the famous example from the book that everyone brings up is, is this idea of a cold shower. So the idea of the cold shower is very simple. The book has a bunch of exercises and you can do the exercises to provoke your physiological brain to react in fear on purpose. And you can actually, not just physiological, but like your reptilian hindbrain that wants to protect you from from danger, but also the other parts of your brain that are sort of evolved on top of that that say like, hey, don't make people feel uncomfortable, like a bunch of other inconsequential actions that you take, but that that really feel dangerous to you. And so the principal one that I bring up in in the book is the idea of this cold shower, where you just like, you can stand in front of it and it's not dangerous and there is no data that tells you that this is bad in any way, but your body just does not want to do it. And your brain does not want to do it. It doesn't want to step into an ice cold shower because of this jungle surplus hardware, because it thinks that's a really bad thing to do. It's super dangerous. You could die, despite the fact that that's entirely not true. And there's actually hundreds of responses like this to lots of different stimulus. They're all wrong. And they're all kind of, in a way, putting you in a a bad situation instead of a better one. I think it's it's quite interesting that we've seen this, you know, obviously your book and then also the ideas that go with it pop up a lot in the fitness industry. What what examples have you observed within fitness of the flinch rearing its ugly head, as it were? When I was, I, I, I still lift weights now, but like when I was very, when I was heavily into lifting, I was very much at that whole, you know, five rep to failure kind of five rep max very, very heavy weights that are scary, so scary that you're just looking at the weight, even though you've, you've racked it, and you're just looking at it, and you're like, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, because it's so, <laughs> so bad, and you've done it before, and you did it last week at the same weight, but it doesn't matter. You may actually just avoid the gym entirely just to avoid that that one, you know, for, for me, it's it might be deadlifts. Yeah, it's probably deadlifts. And so but you see it in a lot of different ways. And really, like, what your body is provoking you to do, your body doesn't want you to be successful and, and, and strong and all these things. Your body really just wants you to have sex, have children, and then die. You know, it doesn't care <laughs> about, about anything else as long as you reproduce once then you've, you've done a good job. If you reproduce multiple times, then according to your biology, you are a successful unit of the human race. So unfortunately, we're conscious and we have different standards. So we have to ignore our basic biology in order to be able to do the things that we truly want to do in life. And, uh, and when you're in any, any kind of exercise, any kind of diet, whatever, you're constantly fighting against this, this physiological reaction that is just saying to you, like, no, like, eat more, don't do hard things even though you know and the research shows it's good for you we certainly so, have seen that with the heavy set of five reps or something one thing that really elicits a flinch reaction for me is squat widow makers which is where you take your 10 <laughs> rep max um, johnny's laughing because he knows he's done this it's yeah you take your 10 rep max for squats and you would perform 10 reps and then keep the bar on your back take five to six deep breaths and then just go for another rep and you've got to keep going until you get 20 and uh, it is possible through as long as you just breathe and take long enough breaks to perform 20 reps with your 10 rep max and the bar remains on your back the whole time but the Mm. set takes about 
three to five minutes and you usually throw up afterwards if you've done it right so yeah there's certainly the on the physical level there's that but one thing that I think we've seen particularly with nutritional coaching is a much more insidious form of the flinch in people getting bogged down in details for example with their diet and procrastinating through optimization rather than knowing that what they need to do to lose fat is eat a calorie deficit they'll get very focused on nutrient timing and the biochemistry of things and looking for the silver bullet or the magic bullet rather this is obviously we fell into this trap as well and I think the fitness industry perpetuates that kind of quick fix attitude but at the end of the day to me that seems like a, a flinch and it's a form of avoidance of the discomfort mm-hmm. you you get this a lot in this productivity industry quote unquote where it's all constantly like hey build a list get get the optimal system download this new app and this new app will make you more productive but really actually you're constantly just it's constant avoidance and avoidance and avoidance so it's kind of a, a similar situation where you're optimizing for the top 10% even though the 90% has not actually been done well. Yeah, precisely. And I think the optimizing itself feels like you are making progress. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you, it, it feels like it's in the right direction. But yeah, as you said, it's just spinning your wheels ultimately. So in terms of depression as well, do you think that there is kind of a two-way relationship between being stuck in a safety net and stuck in this kind of cycle of, of safety and the, the reverse of um, depression affecting someone's ability to step out of their comfort zone. And that turns into a, a more permanent habit change. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you bring that up because I, I one of the other sort of groups of people that have adopted this book are people that have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and have, have through a number of different circumstances pulled up this book. And also, oh, there's a, there's a bunch of them, like people who stutter, all these other things that it's like I accidentally, without even really having done a ton of research on that part of it, created a book which helps you retrain your habits away from your old self and into your new self. And I thought about it really as it relates to basic psychology, like why are you avoiding X, Y, Z thing? But really, everything is fundamentally habitual as it relates to the brain. So the, this retraining is, is really one of the most effective things that you can do for yourself. And although I'm not a depressed person, I don't have PTSD, I don't stutter, it seems like it's almost, what I've hit upon is almost like a universal retraining system. I'm not giving myself credit for that, but but other people have said that, that allows you to just like take this bad thing that you don't like, get one layer above it, and then retrain yourself so that you can react differently to it. I can't speak personally to that. Like I'm not a person who has depression or anything like that. And I know that it's real and it's not just about being sad. It's a real thing that real people deal with. But in a lot of cases, I've, I've written a, a number of articles actually that are either on my blog or, or this book that have resulted in people going, oh my God, this has totally changed the way that my view is about X, Y, or Z thing. And largely X, Y, or Z thing is something that I've personally never experienced. Makes a lot of sense though. I think you've touched on something there with the flinch that is so pervasive that it does seem to affect all aspects of, I suppose, the way that we approach discomfort. And if discomfort is everywhere, Mm-hmm. We're going to be witnessing the flinch in in all of those facets of life. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like I, why I I haven't read the book in a while, although I do I, I do keep it on my I keep it, I keep it on my my Kindle to reread every little while. Going like, wow, I can't believe I made something this good. <laughs> nice. <It's, laughs> so, uh, and and at the beginning, I really talk about this whole idea of having all of the information. You know, like I love it when people give you advice about some kind of thing, like. Oh, well, all you really need to do is just, you know, go out and ask her on a date. Just do it. Like, why don't you do it? And of course, this, yeah, I know I have to do it. I know what I have to do. Don't tell me that. That's not, I don't need your advice. I'm just not doing it. And obviously, the information is not the problem. So it's going into this whole 
principle, like everyone always thinks they know better than everyone else. You know, you can go on the internet and read about absolutely anything. You can build, probably, probably build a nuclear bomb based on information on the internet, just like you can learn to ride a bicycle, just like you can learn to go out on a date or to get fit. But clearly that's not what's preventing people from, from doing it. There's another step to it that is far deeper and far more psychological. And if you retrain yourself through that basic fundamental roadblock to all things, you end up in a radically different place as a consequence. So people know deep down how to lose fat, you know, eating a calorie deficit. They know how to get stronger, progressively overload. But yeah, it's so it's not a case of the, the how, it's more uh, the next step. Yeah, there's a reason why they're not doing it. Even they, and so there's this, there's this basic fundamental way of solving it that personally works for me, which is that I talk out loud to myself. And everybody's got their own method. You've got to find your own way through it. But I'll, I will actually like, I'll pause at something and I'll be like, I don't want to do this thing. Why is that? Like, what is it that I'm afraid of right now? And I'll say it out loud, not in the street to get everybody to look at me, but like, I'll do, I'll do it when I'm by myself and I'll, I'll talk myself through the problem. Like, why is it that I binge eat like at three o'clock in the morning? Okay, well, clearly I hadn't eaten enough protein that day. Well, why don't I eat enough protein? And you just walk yourself through the entire problem till you get to the core of it. And you, you know, there's this question about five whys. Ask yourself why and why and why and why and why again. And eventually you get to the bottom, which is like, I'm scared or something. And, and if you could just address that basic why, you fundamentally solved all the problems. It seems like a common theme with, with all of the things you're mentioning is that we kind of flinch to keep ourselves in our comfort zone. And that once we experience the boundary to our comfort zone, we, we kind of flinch at, at the perimeter to that. I guess there are some, you're mentioning kind of some obvious examples like not wanting to ask somebody out on a date, for example, you're very aware of the fact that that's something you're trying to achieve and then not achieving it. But there are obviously also examples where um, we're maybe not aware of the of the flinch occurring, for example, being in a job that we're perhaps, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't want to be in or being in a relationship that we perhaps don't want to be in. Mm-hmm. How How do you recommend that people kind of find these blind areas in their life where it's maybe the flinch that's keeping them in these areas. Yeah, so it, 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 because it is a, a basic biological reaction, all of this, by the way, comes from like Navy SEAL training and all these other sort of reflex mechanisms because you can never get rid of the flinch entirely, but you can retrain it. And there are there are people in the military and the police force and all these other very stressful jobs that have retrained themselves to be able to flinch forward instead of flinching back. But, you know, M- MMA is actually a great example because MMA is like when you're going to get hit, your instinct is to flinch away, but Actually, the best thing you can do for yourself is to lean into the punch. It is more effective. You get less hurt. There's all these other things that you have to retrain your your basic biology about. So it's like the way that you generally feel these things is you feel them like either a tension in your chest. You feel them through some kind of basic biological mechanism that you can learn to find in yourself and then learn to react in the opposite way. So going back to the shower example, it's like you feel that thing. And, and it's ridiculous. And I, I usually, when I do it, I, I usually end up laughing right before I go into the shower. Because I'm like, what is it exactly that I'm thought? Why do I not want to do this? You know that the, it's the Band-Aid part. It's like the, tearing off the Band-Aid really just takes a second. And then after that second, the feeling goes away. But that one second is just so powerful of tearing the Band-Aid off that you can literally, you'll stop yourself for days from doing <laughs> some basic thing that is just so simple and so easy. And your life is so much better after you've done it. But you won't. It's ridiculous. Like you're probably responsible for such a huge number of people just taking cold showers for weeks on end. Like I think I I, I am. Yeah, for about a a year after I read your book, I just took cold showers (laughs) exclusively. (laughs) Because you can't help, but when you feel it, you're like, "Oh, I'm an idiot." Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, I'm so stupid. 
But that feeling is really profound because then you're like, oh, I'm dumb. I'm dumb about so many things. And then you can start to become clear about what those things are that you're dumb about. And it's a very freeing thing because another way to think about this from a different angle is to say, okay, well, everyone's wrong about some things. So what are these things that I'm fundamentally wrong about? I must be wrong about 50% of the things that I think right now. But obviously, I think that they're all right. I think every decision that I've made is right until I've made it, and I realized later it was wrong. So what if I took another perspective of 50% of my thinking is wrong right now and try to revisit it in a totally, in a, in a different way? And so this is, the, the cold shower is a really good way to sort of get that feeling on purpose so that when you feel it in the real environment in your life, you can go, ah, I see, I'm just stopping myself here because I'm having some kind of reaction, but it's not helping me. And you can just move right past it. Here's a great example in my life right now is that for some reason, I'm totally able to hire plenty of people in my in my job. And I've hired probably four people, I think, in the past three weeks. But I could not for the life of me hire an office manager. I was like, where do you find office managers? I couldn't figure it out. And it's so stupid. All I had to do was write the fucking job description and put it on the internet. And I've gotten 50 candidates and now I've hired someone. But that that idea of writing a job description for an office manager was like a mental block for me that I could not get past. And I can't even explain it to you because it's so dumb. But we have so many of those in our life, and it just blocks out productivity or, or progress or whatever in thousands of tiny different ways. Absolutely. Like the most sobering lesson for me, I think, was with the cold shower, with speaking to someone that you don't know, knowing that there isn't any real threat, but you certainly feel like it. And yeah, it's so stupid when you actually go past it and you realize, like, I wouldn't have died if I went up and spoke to that person or mm. had the cold shower. But something in you is like, you are literally going to die if you do this. Yeah, we're actually in the safest time in history that we've ever been in. You know, I could literally walk out onto the street right now, try to kill myself or try to throw myself in front of a train, <laughs> and I would survive, probably. <laughs> I don't recommend that you do this, but you could, because now is, is the greatest time in history where you could literally attempt to kill yourself a thousand different ways, and they would find a way to, to, to keep you alive. So it's like, what that should provoke in you is actually the ability to become more risky, not for to jump in front of trains, but to say like, oh, there's a series of social uh, safety nets in place. And look, everyone around me is is not deliberately like, trying to hurt me or anything like that. Like, There's all these positive things that will allow you to make mistakes and recover. And, and unfortunately, the negative consequences, these imagined negative consequences, really just hold us to our old way of doing things. I've heard recently Tim Ferriss discussing a technique that he uses to to kind of this is more of a more of the productivity side of things, but he uses it the kind of a flinch technique to decide what to do on his on his to do list, as it were. And he discusses you should look down your to do list, and whichever one makes you feel the most uncomfortable mm-hmm. usually correlates to the task which is the most important, and therefore the thing that you should just prioritize and and just do first, regardless of how unpleasant it is. Do you have any experience in using the flinch in productivity circles? Yeah, I, I totally I see exactly what he's what he's going for, and I do a similar thing. Where it's like that is a that is a mental block that frees you from absolutely anything. So what I do is I, I remove all the other blocks, right? Like if I don't know how to do a certain thing, I'll read about it. Now I now I know how to do it. Okay, so now what's really blocking me? In in terms of productivity, like my main thing is that I act like I'm a monkey. And so I, I deliberately use like different mechanisms to kind of train my future self into obedience, even though 
fundamentally my future self. He, he, he doesn't care about the guy who'd want to lose, lose 20 pounds, you know? Like, that guy was last year, and he doesn't care about that. He wants the pizza. So what I do is, is I'm constantly, like, adding things into my phone that send reminders to myself and that train me into a kind of weird obedience, almost like Pavlov's dog. And it's super effective. It's weird because it's you training your future self into doing certain things, but it really works. No one else can nag you because you're going to learn to ignore them. But you can effectively nag your future self, and that will help you become the person that you want to be. It's really weird. You have to get one layer above your usual thinking, just like Tim Ferriss was talking about in that example, and teach yourself to feel primal discomfort and go, oh, okay, I see that that's holding me back for some reason. Eventually, I think you get to the bottom of it, but I haven't yet. Neither is Tim Ferriss probably this, this whole way of thinking can keep you going for a really long time. Really like the idea of backing yourself into the corner when you said it's something that I don't know how to do. So I read up on how to do it. And then the only option left is to do it. So the inaction is really highlighted. You've shone the light on it. And like in the book you wrote, if you're in inaction, or if you're not acting, then you're flinching regardless of the reason. Mm -hmm. And I, I certainly find that I managed to come up with the most convoluted and clever rationalizations for why I'm not doing things. But if you, I guess if you follow the five whys, you do find that it is just flinching at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that we're just talking so much about this really fundamentally simple thing. I think the number one thing that I really did is that, one, I put exercises in the book that help people see it for themselves. And number two, I gave it a name. And every everyone has this feeling and everybody knows it. It's very easy to talk about it in a really cliche way and be like, oh, yeah, and, and, and to talk about it in a way that makes it feel like it's self-helpy or make it, like, it makes it feel like it's discardable. But to give it a name and then you're like, oh, I'm flinching. And then you understand exactly what that means. It gives you a new paradigm to be able to think about your problems in or something. Just to give a few examples of the homework assignments, these include things like going down to your kitchen, getting a mug that you don't really like and just holding it out at arm's length and dropping it. And if you find that easy, try it with your phone. Um, <laughs> going to a party where you don't know anyone, eating foods that you hate, having 30 days without coffee, speaking to the next stranger that you come across regardless. And then if you fail watch and feel that failure walk away from you, feel the anxiety before you do the act. If someone asks you for help, volunteer wholeheartedly. If a homeless person asks for money, give them the biggest bill that you have. All this kind of stuff to really push you out of automatic. So Julian, we're approaching 30 minutes time. Uh, thank you for your time. And uh, if we want to read more about you, how can we do that? I have a lot of online resources. I, I, I have a very extensive set of writing on my blog, which is at inoveryourhead.net. I also publish a lot of stuff on medium.com right now instead of on my blog. And you can also Google my company, Breather, and take a look at that if you're so interested. There's a lot of stuff about me online because I've been along in a bunch of different channels, like uh, talking to people, coming up with interesting ideas and stuff like that for a long time. So you can go really deep into it. And if you have any questions, you can just send me an email. My email address is inoveryourhead at gmail.com. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time, Julian. It's been great speaking to you. And, well, thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, thanks a lot, Julian. Okay, guys, tune in next time. We've got some more interviews coming up. And remember to subscribe on iTunes. Speak to you later. So, um... Looks like we're approaching the 30-minute mark. Uh, Julian, if we, if we want to read more about you and uh, find out... I'm going to edit that bit out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you want to start it over? Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> that's great. So, Julian, we're approaching the 30-minute mark. Thanks for your time. Um, if we want to find out more about you, what's the link to your video, to your vlo- uh, blog? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay, third time lucky. <laughs>